0: Good morning, welcome to Bretton Baptist Church. Um, I'm about to uh, deliver a sermon, but in a very different approach than what we've done uh, most recently, certainly in the time that I've been here. I don't know if it's been done here, but I want to set the scene uh, where it's a and A time, where we're having one of our young people, Joss Walker, who's uh, prepared a series of questions for me that I've got to respond to. And uh, there'll be a, a piece of scripture uh, read by another young person, Joss will ask the questions and then I will be tasked with responding. So we're going to continue through Mark's Gospel, Chapter 7, and we're going to have small sections of it read to us. So um, I hope you're ready um, to enjoy this opportunity of setting the scene of uh, a Q&A church style sermon. So um, let's get moving on and we're going to have our first reading from uh, Stephen who's going to read the first 23 verses of Mark's Gospel chapter 7. Thank you Stephen.
1: Mark 7 1 to 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled that is unwashed the pharisees and all the jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the, to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups pitchers and kettles so the pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating the food that, with the defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on the human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother will be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is called Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God, but your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that again Jesus called the crowd to him and said listen to me everyone and understand this nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them rather it is what comes out of the person that defiles him after he had left the crowd and entered the house his disciples asked him about this parable are you dull he asked Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality... Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What
2: religious rituals will Jesus be able to live now?
0: Okay thank you Stephen for reading that uh, part of the scriptures and thank you Josh for your question what religious rituals would make Jesus angry today well this passage is about lifestyle of those that love God and follow his ways it is it is a passage about Challenging the, the rituals, the traditions, the rules, the regulations against human behavior. It's sort of like a, a, a match between tradition, rituals, regulations, rules versus behavior, human behavior. I wonder whether Jesus was actually angry. And would he be angry today is the question. I don't believe Jesus was any more annoyed or angry of the traditions of that day as he would be today. I'm not too sure he's anti-traditions or anti-rituals and practices or um, rules. I think what he does struggle with and what he isn't happy with is the hypocrisy between people's religious beliefs and practices and rituals and rules against the way they then display themselves to other people it is um it is a battle between um what they believe inwardly and how they live that out outwardly in the world among other people among their own so i'm not convinced jesus would be um angry or was even angry about tradition i think he was angry about the hypocrisy people um behaved uh, within and, and he quotes God's word, the Bible, the Old Testament, the scrolls from the prophets. And this one is from uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13. Um, and, in, and in Mark's gospel, it's, it's quoted in verse parts of six, seven and eight. This people honours me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines, So they're talking about human rules as Bible based doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God, says Jesus, and hold on to human tradition as if they're the same thing. This was a direct challenge of God's word against tradition, rituals, regulations, practices. In verse 9 he says, Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Wow, Jesus throwing back at them the word that they believed they understood. God's word is more about discovering his nature and heart, his creativity and his imagination, his willingness to go beyond all measures to reach. Us and meet us right where we are for our transformation into his likeness traditions rituals regulations and practices are not what makes us whole or healed or free it is walking with him with integrity and authenticity i believe jesus anger relates more to how some christians think they have got it all right against those that have got it wrong. In principle, traditions, rituals, regulations and rules are not wrong necessarily. If our attitude of heart and behavior causes others to feel they are not good enough for God, unless they live within these rules, these traditions, these regulations, these rituals, then we have a seriously big problem. Whether it be to do with marriage, whether it be to to, to do with um, my preferred way of baptism, uh, my theology of baptism, or my or my theology of churchmanship, um, or my my my, my um, doctrine and, and interpretation of what it means to um, to build a church, to be involved in adding value to the church, if if we set additional rules and regulations that prevent people from discovering the awesomeness of God, then we seriously need help. We do need to be less concerned, I believe, about our traditions, our regulations, our rituals, our rules, and concentrate more on our living, our loving, and our sharing in the ways of Jesus. One commentator puts it like this. Being Christians of faithful proclamation and compassionate service. We must at all costs avoid allowing our traditions, our rituals, our rules and regulations. Preventing people from discovering how Jesus meets us. Meets us all right where we are and however we are. And that is And that it is. He who transforms us according to the convictions of his Holy Spirit in and on us. Traditions, rituals and rules and regulations and practices will always be part of our lives. We will make new ones. Every generation will make a new set of traditions. You know, the modern day organist is the guitar and the keyboard. And the drums, that's the modern day traditional style of worship. It's no longer new and fresh. Sorry, that's not putting a down on, on our worship, but it's a new tradition, a new style of doing that uh, sung worship. Traditions, they come and they go. Some people hold on to them and attempt to force them on the next generation. And rather than it causing the next generation to draw, closer to god it can often drive them away sadly i think jesus would not be happy with us trying to force what we feel are necessary traditions onto people that it feels absolutely irrelevant to okay let's move on to the next question
2: what do you want us to wash our hands
0: just asks the question would Jesus want us to wash our hands probably a good idea with the latest COVID-19 but moving beyond la- latest co- COVID-19 when when I read that question Joss um uh, I, I I had this come to me I remember Princess Diana willingly shaking hands with aid victims in the late 80s without wearing gloves. A reporter included um, these comments in, in their script. The gesture challenged the once common but incorrect in brackets belief that HIV and AIDS could be transmitted by touch. Another point he made was the moment is emblematic of Diana's unwavering compassion for other people, for sick people. And this also says one of her finest humanitarian moments took place in a single instant on that day, April 19, 1987. I remember it to this day. People were afraid and she did what others felt was like signing your own death warrants. She touched unclean people with her hands. I guess this is something of what it must have felt like for the Pharisees and the elders of the day in the times of Jesus, not to place Princess Diana on the same level as Jesus Christ, but she did what I believe Jesus would have done. At the time of Jesus touching those with leprosy or dead bodies or hanging out with those that did not follow the traditions, the rules, the rituals, the practices of what became for many the Jewish way, according to Moses and the Pharisees who came from uh, Jerusalem. Bear in mind that that's what he says. They came from Jerusalem, the Pharisees. These were intelligent men. These were men of the scribe. They knew the Bible, or so they thought, shall we say. Is it good to wash your hands is the question. Yes of course it is for we can pick up all kinds of different germs but don't mistake that washing our hands makes us clean on the inside. Jesus saw how dirty these Pharisees were on the inside but tried to look clean on the outside you saw straight through them the reality is no one can hide what is really happening on the inside of who we are not for long anyway eventually truth always comes out whatever the condition of our heart is shown in the way we live our lives so just if your mum does say to you or your dad says wash your hands i would encourage you to do so mate Let's move on to the next uh, section of the Bible and uh, the next set of questions. So we're going to hear uh, from Michaela, um, who's going to read Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And then Josh is going to give us some more questions. Thank you.
2: Mark 7, 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of time. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone.
0: Verse 25, what was the disease and how dangerous was it? Okay, thank you Michaela and uh, thank you Joss for your questions again. So, Joss asks, what was the disease and how serious was it? I've not read anywhere that it is a disease, but what I have read is it's an unclean spirit or an evil spirit or a disturbed child, her daughter, or, or a child with affliction so read into that what you will we do not get any clarity of the severity of what was going on in her condition but we do get the depth and breadth of the desperation and the significance of this mother this woman's uh, boldness audacity a willingness to step into uncharted territory that's what we do get from it. So she she was obviously seriously concerned for her daughter. One of the significance is that um, this was in the place of the Decap- Decapolis, which was touched on a couple of weeks ago. Jesus had gone to the place where Jews were not permitted to go. Let's just pause and take this in just for a brief moment. This was a place where you are told you must never go as a Jewish um. Person. A place where only the worst kind of people hang out. This is a place that apparently God hated and forbid anyone to go, disapproved completely. This was obviously, according to the people of Israel of the time, this is because it dated back to the time of that very nasty and naughty, bad Jezebel, the Phoenician princess. So it's got historical um, stuff to it that causes the the people of Israel to go, God does not want us to enter into any any of that territory. But Jesus is back there again, the second time um, uh, we get in the scriptures that he goes to the Decapolis territory. Now, this woman, um, this Phoenician woman was not a Jew. She, she, She was not... Uh, in any way, a believer in the same way as the people of Israel. So why did Jesus go there again? It says that Jesus was wanting to get away from it all. It's been busy. He's been healing and there's been crowds um, drawing around him. And he went to this home where nobody knew him. And yet he's presented with another big challenge. So Jesus um, is left to face Another um, healing scenario, a, a, a very um, a dilemma, I suppose. He had not come for the Gentile people, the, the unbelievers. He'd come for the people of Israel, the believers. This is a serious um, conflict of the purpose of Jesus um, because he'd come for uh, the people of Israel to, to reveal to them their need of understanding God in a better way. Now, there are some other thoughts behind this. Some believe he went there in attempt to rest. Simple as that. That's what he went. But even the unbelievers were drawn to him, as we saw, um, heard in the scriptures. Some believers, some believe he deliberately went there to show signs of where the disciples will be sent once he ascends. Some even believe that he deliberately went there to see how the disciples reacted. Some believe he went there knowing that people like this woman would stop at nothing to receive from Jesus anything he would offer them. Another significant, um, significant element to this passage is the dialogue between the woman, the Greek, the Gentile um. And uh, her insistence on pursuing whatever size of blessing Jesus would pour out for her daughter. Whatever little he gave, she knew would make a big difference for her demon possessed or a disturbed daughter. So I can't answer directly um, the severity of this only based on the woman's um, act. Of compassion and desperation and boldness. And you say about verse 29, he says, says that Jesus was impressed. What was Jesus impressed about? You say, Josh? Well, for me, I would say he was impressed with her courage to press on, despite what appears to be Jesus's initial refusal to bring healing to a non-Jewish girl. And a child at that. Why would Jesus not want to heal a child? Verse 27, he said to her, let the children be fed first, meaning the people of Israel. For it is not fair to take the children's food, good food, and throw it to the dogs, the wild dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs was jesus seriously refusing her surely all who come to jesus he meets and does not turn away but here we see jesus turning her away was jesus convinced she would not give up did he know that hence why he entertained this type of controversial dialogue was it deliberate or was it spontaneous did jesus know Either way, whatever your thoughts are, it offers multiple teaching points and demonstrates to us how even unbelievers can understand the profound need of Jesus on their lives, regardless of traditions, practices, rituals and rules. Now, in this um, depiction of dogs, um, put it into context, it, it is relevant It's relative to the description of wild dogs um, dogs, untamed dogs. And the feeding of the children concept would have been the best quality food goes to the children first. the, The parents, children, the children of the parents. You don't give good food away to wild dogs because it's a waste for they will never appreciate it. Their stomachs would not be used to it and they wouldn't be able to digest it so same with the food from heaven do you give that beautiful rich nourishment to people that would just not take it well and yet this woman persists in her willingness to take whatever others will reject whatever people reject of jesus this unbelieving woman is saying i'll take that because that will make my daughter well I guess he was impressed with her, her faith, her audacity to not back off. I believe he was impressed with her willingness to accept what others would reject of Jesus. Her courage he was impressed with to stand up for her daughter, to stand out from the crowd, to stand off against typical religious boundaries, Cultural boundaries, tradition boundaries, traditional boundaries, uh, rituals, and and rules and regulations. And I believe he's also impressed with her behaviour, to her vulnerability, her the desire to a willingness to surrender, her authenticity, her integrity. So I think he was impressed with her in who she was, and a truth that was desperately jumping out of her she was not trying to hide who she was she was making herself in a sense um, exposing herself to being mocked and ridiculed and completely rejected and that got her accepted so we're going to move on to our last and final reading Uh, Which Iona is going to read for for us, and then Joss is going to um, follow up with our final question, which is the hardest question by far. So over to you, Iona. Thank you.
3: Jesus then left the neighborhood of Tyre and went on through Sidon to Lake Galilee, going by way of territory of the Ten Towns, some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. So Jesus took him off alone, away from the crowd, put his fingers on the man's ears, spat and touched the man's tongue. Then Jesus looked up to the heavens, gave a deep groan and said to the man, which means open up. At once the man was able to hear, his speech impediment was removed, and he began to talk without any trouble. Then Jesus ordered the people not to speak of it to anyone. But the more he ordered them not to, the more they spoke. And all who heard were completely amazed. How well he does everything, they exclaimed. He even causes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Why would he spit and touch his tongue? What would it do?
0: OK, thank you, Iona, for the reading. Well, well done. And thank you, Joss, I think. The question, why would he spit and touch his tongue? What would that do? Well, this is by far the most challenging question for me to answer. I confess the that this one caused me to have to look into several commentaries. And it led me to my more deeper Um, set of commentaries the World Biblical Commentary um, series 34a uh, volume 2 of the Mark's Gospel Commentary and um, yeah it got me running around in circles to some degree Uh, yeah what was this all about I suppose the second part of the question is quite straightforward to answer Um, what would it do it healed him what was the significance of the spit and the touching and then looking up to heaven and the and the words um, that Jesus used, be open? Um, well, that is a mystery uh, to commentators and it's a mystery to me still. But let me try to give some response. First, verse 33, he took him aside in private, which is, again, probably only the second time that Jesus took somebody um, to one side privately, away from the crowd and put his fingers into his ears and he spat, we don't know where he spat, and he touched his tongue, I guess with his hand, who knows, I don't know. So Jesus takes him aside privately. Why such certainly to us in the West an odd practice? Certainly unusual, something that we would not feel is um, appropriate, I'm sure. There is very little um, theological or historical or any commentators offering us any real specificness. So what can I say? Well, it is certainly not uncommon to come across challenging passages in the scriptures. And this is certainly one of them. We, We are left with very little to go on. Jesus uses God's word to touch, to bring forth something of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of darkness, i.e. this world. Again, he uses the word of God. This is a description and a, a fulfilling of a prophecy from Isaiah 35 verses five and six and it says this then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy what my uh, world biblical commentary did give me it states several things in this commentary um as um against uh, all the others that i i did look at and it's uh, it, these are the significant things from those commentators from that commentator There is something about physical touch in healing that is typical in Jesus's ministry and in our ministry of healing today that complements the process for healing. And spitting apparently was a common practice in Greco-Roman as well as Jewish culture for therapeutic function for having power over evil spirits. There you go from the uh, theologians. So we are left with virtually no explanation behind these traditions, these rituals and these practices and these maybe rules that Mark exposes us to. Mark is clearly more impressed with the power of Jesus than the methods of Jesus. More impressed with the um, motives. So Mark centralises on the motives of Jesus over the methods of Jesus. So we must reflect On our own position of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a reflection of God's church, His church. How are our motives reflected in our methods? This whole section is clearly about um, the challenge behind what you believe and how you behave. In what you believe. And is your heart in a good place? Because you believe, because you apply certain traditions and rituals and practice and doctrines on your life, in your life, doesn't mean you're right with God. So I want us to pause and I want to leave us with a few very short thoughts for personal reflection as we consider them in our own lives and for the church God has called us to be. What traditions and practices no longer reflect the power of God's word in your, in my, in our personal life, as well as within the church we belong to? Those questions you asked, Joss, are, are great questions. Um, and, and I want to encourage people to never stop their children from asking questions we need to ask more questions we may come up with more questions as a result of asking questions but that is the one of the mysteries of the scriptures it doesn't always give us straightforward clear specific answers to how to live our lives i know some people would may argue with that but i would challenge that is that the way people Will really meet with God to have your life sorted? Or is it a lot more to it than that? Something else I'd like to leave you with. How does your, our, my behaviour reflect what I claim to believe? Where does my scriptural and theological interpretation come from in the first place? Head or heart? How much of what I think I know stems from popular traditional teaching or God's direct word? Jesus challenged popular traditions, popular rituals and practices and rules with the word of God. Even where the Pharisees believed they built these traditions and these rituals and these practices and these rules on the word or the law of Moses, the word of God then. But clearly they had added to God's word. Where have we added to God's word to fit our idealism of what it means to be a Bible believing Christian? And how are we living that in accordance to the grace we are called to eugene peterson puts it wonderfully in um, verses 18 to 23 and he says jesus said are you being willfully stupid don't you see that what you swallow can't contaminate you it doesn't enter your heart but your stomach And your stomach works its way through the intestines and is finally flushed in brackets. That took care of dietary quibbling. Jesus was saying that all foods are fit to eat. And he goes on to say, it's what comes out of a person that pollutes obscenities, lusts, thefts, murders, Adulterers, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All these are vomit from the heart. There is the source of your pollution, he says. The words of God are life-giving, love-affirming life-transforming, mind-renewing, and heavenly-revealing. Joss, I was really challenged with those questions, and I wanted to um, make sure I gave you as best and fuller answers as I could. I tried to keep each question down to five minutes. I think I managed that, but um, I hope that didn't um, um, lose your attention too much. But they were amazing Uh, questions and we got had some amazing readers so thank you guys for taking part so one last point before i lead us in a prayer from these teachings there is a load of questions placed in just this one chapter this is the dialogue we are invited to god loves it when his children come to him with questions only he is able to provide some level of satisfaction if we are disturbed by the answers or the lack of answers we receive from him then perhaps our hearts require renewing rather than our heads let us pray jesus we come to you with many questions and often We leave with more questions. This passage has many unanswered questions. I guess that is the point. There are many questions that fail to have any specific answers. What is more of a challenge then than unanswered questions is the reality of the condition of our hearts. Lord, reveal to me, reveal to each and every one of us the health condition of our hearts. Lord, reveal to me what I need to learn from these passages. Lord, teach me to know what is healthy for my heart. Lord, help me to live with integrity, with authenticity. Help me to allow my heart to be handled by you be nurtured by you to be influenced by you and clean out anything in my heart that corrupts it that distorts it that leaves me a hypocrite lord i renounce all of that now in jesus name if that's you then pray that prayer with me renounce any hypocrisy any corruption any deception in my heart and I say, Jesus, I want my heart to be renewed by you. Father, I pray as a church, as we go from here, as we leave this place, knowing that you are more concerned about the heart than the head. You are more concerned about how our behaviours reflect what we believe than what we put Um, in place of traditions and rituals and practices and rules. Lord, help our motives to be pure. May our motives be based on your heart's desire. We thank you that you love us and you accept us and you receive us right where we are, in who we are and in what we've become that you seek to transform us by the renewing of our hearts and by the renewing of our minds, because it is you that has the perfect will and purpose for our lives. Thank you, Jesus. This we pray in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you at the Zoom coffee. God bless
1: you.